Welcome to the Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. This week's guest is a special one. It's Rod Drury, founder and CEO of Zero. Zero is a multi-billion-dollar publicly traded accounting software firm. I'm actually a shareholder myself, so please take everything I say here with a grain of salt. Uh, but it's a really great podcast. Uh, Zero started in New Zealand. It's now totally global. Huge business in the U.S., the U.K., everywhere across the world. And Rod's just done a fantastic job building the company. He's also a super funny guy. He basically tried to rattle me, I think, and accuse me of using his the wrong name as I started the interview. And that's not in the podcast, but he had everyone in the room laughing like crazy. And it was hard to put a straight face on and give him a real interview after that. We had a great time, though, and uh, I think it's very informative. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Founders and Friends, Rod Drury, the CEO and co-founder of Zero. Welcome. Thanks for taking time. Cool. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So we are at ExpensaCon, ExpensaCon's big conference, and Rod has been doing a bunch of announcements here. You, I think it would just be kind of cool if you just told Zero's story a little bit. Like, this is a major, huge company in SaaS and accounting, and please just give us a little bit of background, you guys. Yeah, so we're in um, our 10th year, which sounds kind of crazy. You know, it used to be four people in a small apartment. We're now 1,500 people all over the world. We've got over 700,000 small businesses globally on our platform, about 200 million of revenues. And, um, yeah, we're, we're sort of the um, – we're in the small business um, accounting space. So, you know, people who might be on QuickBooks desktop, they should be on zero. Yep. And I heard the origin story a little bit from actually one of your team members – did you start the company with your accountant? Yeah. So what, so what happened? You just were like fed up and couldn't deal with QuickBooks and just... Yeah, so um, no, so, so, so I sort of came from Arthur Young, Ernst Young, went through the merger, so had been in sort of large high-end um, IT and, uh, and financial uh, consulting, so did audit in my first year and then talked my way into the information technology consulting group. So did, did lots, of implement, uh, lots of implementation of sort of high-end ERP, yep. and it always kind of frustrated me that they didn't really use the power of the database. So, so I done um, so I did quite a few startup companies. We peeled a, we actually st- did some internal entrepreneurship and started a development arm inside Ernst and Young uh, within two offices, kind of when Microsoft Access first came out, uh, and then um, we sold that business in '99. Did a bunch of startups. Uh, was on the board of Trade Me, which was New Zealand's version of eBay, which we sold for half a billion US dollars. So that was a pretty big deal in our part of the world. And then I did a email archiving product. I actually built a a version of online accounting when Microsoft ASP.NET version two came out. I sort of took two weeks and built the general edge, and it felt really good. But what I realised was building accounting for small business wasn't a quick kind of build and flick. It was something that you know you have real relationships with real customers, and there was so much to build. So I parked it and uh, did an email archiving company, which we sold to Quest Software within two years of starting it. Um, and while we were doing that, you know, we sort of wanted to, um, you know, make sure the books were all up to date. And because and we were uh, building this business, we knew we'd probably sell it quite quickly. We weren't sort of doing it to build a long-term business. We actually wanted to make some money and see if we could build some technology and sell it. So we went out and got, um, got the version of sort of QuickBooks for Australia and New Zealand. There's another company called MYB, but the product's 
are kind of the same. And it was so frustrating when we were seeing the innovation that was happening in the consumer internet with this horrible desktop software that looked really homemade. <laughs> I just, you know, it was just really clear and having built my own engine. So once we sold that business, I took the money, I, money from doing zero, um, sorry, the, the money from doing aftermail straight into zero, uh, started the company. And because we had some capital, we did a lot of real R&D. We wanted to build a proper global um, accounting engine. And uh, what was interesting back in those days is when we sold Aftermail, we had about 23 people, and everyone's doing, you know, two or three jobs. To do accounting software properly is just a massive investment. You know, we probably need at least 10 developers, so 10 testers, and uh, we needed, like, sales and marketing, and because we can't, couldn't, you know, wasn't selling big, large enterprise deals. It was selling a fairly low-cost product. So we needed 50 people from day one, wow. which was like half a million bucks a month, and we probably needed about three years. So say call that 15 million. And back at that time, the biggest New Zealand venture capital deal was probably two or three million bucks. We probably could have raised the money on the US West Coast after the other things we'd done, but we would have had a valuation of sort of 20 and the business would have sold yeah, by now. Yeah, yeah. So we told a big story. We actually floated on the New Zealand Stock Exchange with 100 customers, had our first sort of $55 million valuation, raised $15 bucks, and uh, that was the beginning of a journey. So far we've raised um, in U.S. dollars well over $300 million, and, yeah, we're just sort of passing the $200 million annualized revenue mark now. So going, Looking back, was going public or doing the floats a smart move? Like, do you feel like it, it, did, it was the right move? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard. Like, so, it's scrutiny, right? There's yeah, a it's a lot of more. scrutiny. So we've done the startup basically in the public eye. So you really can't stuff up. You know, we've yeah. had to, you know, every number, every dollar we spend, every bit of revenue, every deal, you have to expose that. And in, in New Zealand's case, every six months, not every quarter, thank goodness. Um, but that does put a real edge on the business. So while it was incredibly hard and it's probably been quite stressful, at least it builds a very, very strong business. So we've had to, um, right from day one, had great corporate governance, you know, great boards. Um, you know, we have Chris Liddell used to be the CFO of Microsoft. Um, uh, Graham Smith, who was the CFO of Salesforce. Bill Vecti, number two at HP. Just, you know, fantastic uh, people helping us all the way through. Can you look at the kind of the unicorns in Silicon Valley and shake your head a little bit and say, like, why don't you guys, why don't you guys go ahead and get public and and that screening will help you a little bit, or is it just... Well, it's really different things. I mean, if you can raise capital and be private, it allows you to, um, you know, just be in a lot more stealth and, you know, moving staff, you know, and making sure you're always having the right team is harder. When you're public, things like making, um, you know, moves with senior staff... Um, you know, that, that's probably the only thing that we get pinged from, whereas our staff turnover is really low. And because we've been growing so quickly for so many years, you know, you're really operating in dog years. So the people that were right from two years ago may not be the, the, the right people for the next one. So we've been very active in making sure that we're managing the board, always had the right board for the company as we've been uh, growing globally, and also making sure that we're always bringing in the best talent because as, as you get bigger and better then you have the right to get better and better people through and also making sure we're developing our own team it's such an incredible story did you because you, you did start in new zealand do you feel like starting in kind of a smaller market helped you perfect the product or did you go right into you talked today at expense about 
you got into the UK really quickly, you got in Australia really quickly. Was that, did it help you or was it something you wanted to just expand as fast as possible? So when we, when we started, we, um, we probably thought that it was harder because, you know, we're only we're from a small set of rocks in the South Pacific. We only have four million people, right? So it's a pretty, pretty small market. But in hindsight, it's actually been really good for us. So we're able to have the first two or three years really off the radar of the global scene. So by the time we hit the US, we were pretty well dressed and, and, and pretty match fit. Um, and uh, what's also interesting is, you know, under the last generation of technology, the enterprise software space, everything sort of consolidated up in the U.S. So it was mainly U.S. listed companies. And once they get to a scale, um, you know, they have this arbitrage where they can buy private companies at, say, a multiple of three or four and immediately they're worth, you know, five to eight. So um, they're going to buy companies all day. Plus, they also have a sunk cost to their global um, teams, so they're always looking for new products to put on the shelf. So in the enterprise thing, everything globally consolidated up in the U.S., and um, what used to be the playbook for um, technology companies from smaller countries was basically get to a point where a U.S. public company would buy you. And uh, so you didn't really see the talent that's around in the world kind of rising to the very top because they get taken out quite early. Whereas what's happened now with these internet models is you can now build businesses that are truly global. And I think in hindsight that's good. If you look at um, us compared to Intuit, say, I think around their, their global revenue is only sort of 5%. Board is completely US-centric. So while they appear like a global company, they're actually much more of a US uh, domestic company. And we've been able to beat them in our you know, first main markets, New Zealand, Australia and the UK. Uh, which is quite weird, you know. You would think, um, you know, these big companies, big brands, are true global operators, but uh, I think when you're in a big market like the US, you get pretty focused on this big market. Whereas we we see the US as a market, um, uh, just like we see a whole lot of other big ones as well. Instead of, uh, I think you made a great point about the consolidation. You guys have chosen to basically because you have a public market cap. You could actually buy companies if you wanted to. Yeah, bought uh, four so far. Oh, really? Yeah. But, but today you had a really big announcement with Expensify, where you're a global partner now. It seems like you're integrating everyone into zero to make the whole ecosystem successful instead of just going out and buying, you know, a bunch of companies. Is that part of the strategy, or is that just? Yeah. Well, the, the exciting thing that we're seeing in the um, small business software spaces is most of us aren't first-time entrepreneurs. So if you look at someone like Matt uh, from T Sheets, he's an experienced business person that's built a few businesses. Um, same with David from Expensify. So we all have very similar backgrounds in that we understand large business. And I think all of us, um, you know, we, we all had prior careers in the enterprise space. And what's neat about the small business space is it's very real. You're dealing with real people. And if you can, and, you know, if you can write software that saves them two or three hours a week, that's an awesome, awesome thing. And you get that feedback now back through social. So I think what you're seeing is these new purpose and, and value-driven companies that, you know, most of us are parents as well because we're all a bit older. So, you know, we all want better schools. And, great, yeah, yeah, thank you. You're very, uh, you're very kind. And my forehead seems to be stretching all, all, all the way to the back of my feet these days. So we're, um, you know, so I think we're seeing these kind of value-driven companies that are all about, you know, better schools and hospitals by making the small business um, economy um, so much more productive. And, uh, you know, the big change is, uh, you know, before the, the small business market must be the world's biggest market. So there's consumer, 
where by um, volume of people it's huge, but people don't really like paying for stuff. So you kind of see marketplaces, then lots of advertising-based models. Small businesses would be the next biggest market by volume, but they spend in total trillions of dollars. So the small business internet has been one is is really one of the biggest markets that's been hiding in plain sight. But under the desktop world, we had to uh, distribute software. It was very um, expensive to attack this fragmented market. So the cloud pulls it all together. So what you're now seeing is experienced enterprise entrepreneurs being able to raise capital and deploy solutions, you know, amazing solutions to small businesses. And I think because we have a shared background, and for all of us, it's about keeping our marketing costs down. It just makes sense to work together using the great APIs, and we're seeing this global family of businesses um, who are, um, you know, doing really neat yeah. things and completely coordinated. Even though we're, you know, we're we're all managed out of completely different countries. Yeah, it's amazing. The teamwork is just really helping the whole ecosystem, including us, including all of our customers. Yeah. So you have a lot going on here. So last question: You had a really cool vision for how AI and Amazon's analytics would really work on behalf of Zero's clients and beyond. On, be, be, on behalf of their end customers. Can you talk about that a little bit just now? Yeah, so um, for these platform businesses, they're just massive investments. And when we started the business, I would have thought, oh, yeah, three years, we'll build it, it'll be done. And we're in our 10th year now, and we kind of just finished what we would call a boring bit. So, you know, bank reconciliation, credit notes, reporting, purchase orders, all the things that you need to build a horizontal um, accounting engine. And it's millions and millions of lines of code, and it takes a long time. And what I think we've done is we've reinvented those experiences on the web and get all the benefit of anywhere, multi-user access, anytime, iPads, all that good stuff. But we're still putting data in. Um, what's been amazing, uh, last year we, um, uh, we processed $400 billion of transactions. So what's exciting about the small business space, when the data's sitting on individual PCs, it's not that interesting. When you bring that in, you know, we're now, uh, this year, we'll be approaching a trillion dollars of uh, transactions. So for the first time, we have this massive graph of data. So what's happened, uh, while we've been building our platforms and starting 10 years ago, you know, we kind of hosted our own servers and did those things. Um, now that we've got this transactional data cleaned up, we're watching closely uh, the big platform wars that are happening with Amazon, Google, and uh, Microsoft. And these guys are going at it, hammer and tong, investing billions in driving the cost of our compute down. But more importantly, what they're doing is inside their data centers, they're putting in these big data tools. So uh, what we've been doing for the last two years, as well as um, all of the product features, we've had a massive uh, over two-year project now of moving from our own hosted environment into Amazon Web Services. And what that gives us is access to a commodity innovation like machine learning, artificial intelligence, all the big data services. So we're now moving from a kind of relational transactional system to a whole lot of new uh, computing models. And the, the platforms that haven't made that investment to AWS you know, you can imagine I've got to decide what machine learning engine do they use. Do I get 50 servers? Do I get 200 servers? You just don't know. But we can now just turn these things on. So what I think will happen, now we've kind of gone through the kind of mandatory features we all have to build. Those that are on these new modern platforms should be able to show so much innovation over the next two or three years. It's super exciting. Yep. Uh, so let's, let us let you get back to the party. Thank you so much. Thanks for being on the Founders of Friends. Rod, really appreciate it. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. 
All right. Eileen Adal from Zero, thank you for coming on Founders and Friends with Scott Orn and Vanessa Cruz at Cruz Consulting. Really appreciate you taking time. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we're at Expensicon, which is a Expensify's big conference. We are, don't be jealous, we're in Maui right now. It's unbelievable. And Eileen, what's your title again? What do you run? Practice and Platform Manager. So I run the team of consultants that help onboard and implement um, our partners onto our platform. Fantastic. So maybe give a little bit of background about Zero. Like we're accounting nerds. We know Zero. I'm also a shareholder, so you know, full disclosure there. Small shareholder. Um, but tell us about Zero. Well, we already have a lot in common because <laughs> I am also an accounting nerd and a shareholder. Um, but a little bit about Zero. We were founded in 2000 back in New Zealand, and we actually decided to go pretty public right away in 2009, um, then went over to the UK, to Australia, and then finally landed in the US in very early January 2012. I'm actually employee number nine in the US. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So, been around a little while, and we are founded by a serial entrepreneur, Roger, as well as his um, accountant, um, Hamish. Mm. So... They were kind of tired of the back and forth and unsynchronized files and said, well, why can't we just, you know, have it instantaneously? And so they decided to build cloud accounting software. That's amazing. So cloud accounting meaning like a hosted, just like every other internet application you use, like Google, Google Apps or something like that. I wouldn't say it's hosted. I mean, it's directly in your web browser so you can access it from anywhere. And, I mean, keep in mind that before Xero came along, all of these other accounting platforms basically lived on your desktop. They lived on like, well, they lived on your accountant's desktop. The actual owners of the businesses couldn't access their own financials, so I don't, the accountant became the bottleneck. Uh, and the programs themselves were just really old, rickety, uh, difficult to use, hard to interpret. Yes. Uh, so I think Zero has done just an absolutely amazing job of revolutionizing the, the user interface for accounting software. Yes, thank you. And yes, we're not hosted. We were built for the cloud from the very beginning. And we always say we lead by design. So not just within our UI, but also the experience for our partners and for the SMBs. We really consider that when we're designing our product and before we decide to do a new release or features that we're going to come out with, we really keep all those things in mind. So how did you guys, so Rod and his accountant had this idea, how did you guys spread? Like, you, you were the first person in the U.S. Like, talk about maybe the, the spreading throughout the world and also, like, the U.S. launch. Like, how did you guys make this happen? Because that, that's a, a global launch over three or four years is super impressive. Like, how did you do that? Really fast. So not the first, but, but close. Um, I say the first year in the U.S., we were in the incubator for the most part, and we grew up to probably about... 20 employees or so, and we did everything and anything. So for the ones that started early, we really know zero backwards and forwards, um, and then grew rapidly. And I think it was just the transfer of knowledge and being focused, and everyone is just agile, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. People we hire aren't scared of change. Mm -hmm. And we know that they can be flexible to change because we are always having to change on whatever's going on with the market and our partners and um, really adapting to what people needed. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, there was pain points along the way, but who doesn't have pain points along the way? Let's be realistic. So um, 
but I think we've done a pretty good job of really keeping in touch and expanding really well. So we went from San Francisco having an office there from we're in our third office now. I think we're staying in there San for a while. In oh, San Francisco. Wow. Actually, it's kind of like in North Beach, isn't it? Like, is yes, it over there? Yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, and if Green if, Street, actually. Yes. Is it really? Wow. Yep. Green and Battery. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you count the apartment above our incubator, then it's our fourth office. Um, <laughs> So we're fourth office there, and then we also have remote employees in L.A., so we have a WeWork out there, or an office out there as well. Um, And we work in Seattle, uh, New York, and then a bigger office in Denver as well. Um, And then now we're also having remote employees around the U.S. regionalizing. That's amazing. When When you were growing the business... And you use the accounting channel quite a bit. Like that's one of the ways we know you is actually cruise consulting is a cl- a account for a lot of clients. Was there a certain kind of a- account you looked for, or was that the channel strategy? Like, talk about your cha- channel strategy. Um, it's okay if it wasn't all about a- accounts on the f- early it, days. It was actually. <laughs> it was at least when I joined in the U.S. I think maybe strategically globally it could have been been different, but I've always been in the partner channel or mm-hmm. accounting channel since I started. Um, mind you, I came from Ernst & Young, so I have a, I have a oh, soft spot no for accountants. Um, so I, we really did focus on that. I don't think there was necessarily a certain accountant we targeted because zero fits for SMBs and medium businesses. So it was more so who are the accountants that want to help SMBs and small yeah, businesses yeah. and helping them achieve those goals and making their lives easier. Yep, yep. So how, how, so Zero is getting penetration now. Now you have a bigger competitor in Intuit. You go head to head with them, which is super impressive. Now a bigger competitor? Well, the, They've always been there. Well, no, that's what I mean. Like now you're in the U.S., you're head to head all the time. Yeah. How do you guys differentiate? Like what's your marketing message? Honestly, I mean, for me, I don't know if we, I guess we do market it a little bit, but I think my team is a differentiator because mm-hmm. we really want to make sure that that process from going to whatever software platform or different platforms you're on, because we do see that as well, be as much of a seamless process to come to zero and have that hands-on support. I just don't think not everyone knows about that yeah. support yeah. and they don't get it. Yeah. And so. Now we go back and make sure that some of our partners that didn't get to have that are aware of that support mm-hmm. and make sure that we're giving that support to yeah. them now. But, you know, we're always trying to be innovative in the space and try to come out with new things. Um, it's been a while now, but we came out with business performance dashboards, which has a key KPIs. We do have add-ons that do that, too. But if you don't need it to that deep extent of complexity, Zero has the basic needs that you have so you can be more of an advisor yeah. to your clients and not just give them the financial statements and say, here are your numbers, but, hey, these are what your numbers mean, and here are some KPIs that tell you how your business is yeah, doing. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Because like, like the high-value-add accounts are actually counseling the entrepreneur, not just throwing the statements over the wall and saying, here you go. Um, you guys have also done a really good job of integrating kind of other software services. And today it was announced that you guys are doing integration with Expensify globally, which is yes. huge. Can you talk Very about exciting. that just a little bit? Yeah. So we're partnering with Expensify to kind of have a more seamless solution around, you know, accounting software and expense management. And so we are offering kind of white glove service around that um, from both sides to help them move from to going on to the zero plus Expensify platform a little easier mm-hmm. with a few other benefits. Mm-hmm. 
That's really cool. What's what's next for Zero? Like, where? You, and this is a, it's not really a fair question because yeah. this was announced today. But like, what's the future hold for Zero? That may be a better Rod question. <laughs> Rod's the CEO. Who you'll probably hear before this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I forget who was saying this at the uh, conference, but um, they they were saying that uh, the the best way to kind of integrate all of these apps onto one platform is to just allow for each each business to do the best of what they do. So, Expensify yes. is truly the best at expense reports. Um, T Sheets would arguably the best at uh, you know keeping track of time. So. Uh, you know, if a small business comes to zero, they can choose, yes, I need Expensify, yes, I need T-Sheets. So they're getting kind of the, the full uh, attention of, you know, that company, of that team behind this one product line. Yes. But it all integrates onto zero, which makes it an incredibly powerful platform. And I would agree with that, and that's why we say we can be a lightweight ERP system, right? Zero gives you the great GL experience with and lightweight applications around it. We do have an expense claim module, but that's really when you're just starting out. But as your business grows, our ecosystem allows you to grow with zero and them. So as that small business grows and they need a more complex expense management system, we bring in Expensify, right? So it does work still as a light ERP system. We are trying to be the best we can be in the beautiful accounting experience, but this is why we have chosen certain strategic partners to help that business have the full go-to-market solution. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so we work with a ton of entrepreneurs. A ton of entrepreneurs listen to this podcast. <laughs> what do you? What would you leave them with? Like, what's what advice or what? How to make their decision on what kind of accounting platform to use? For accounting platform, yeah. well, obviously, I would tell them to come join <laughs> Zero. It's going to make their life easier. It's a very intuitive product. But honestly, for the entrepreneur. They're an entrepreneur because they're passionate about something. They probably started their business on whatever they're passionate about. Yeah. And it, sometimes it actually starts with our add-on partner. And that solution may be with an add-on partner. But if you want to make your back office more seamless and be able to get that financial data so that your business can grow and let your accountant focus on that and give you advice, then you'll want to pick one that integrates with Zero, so we can make that an easy process working with Zero or add-on and your certified advisor. Yeah, that's really good advice. Now, all this, and you were the eighth employee at ninth. Zero. You had ninth you employee at right Zero. What advice do you have? For just a startup person in general, because you were basically starting the United States operations. Like looking back on that time, is there one piece of advice you can give? Stay sane, keep exercising. Change is constant. Yeah. I mean, and I, I know I already touched upon that, but it's what keeps it exciting. I don't like to be bored at my job. Um, I, and I don't know many people that do, but I enjoy coming to work because it, it's always, there's always something new and it challenges me. And I like that. I like that I come and face new challenges. I went in public accounting, why I loved it and thrived off it is because you never got comfortable. Mm -hmm. Once mm -hmm. you were knowing your level, you have to step up your game and go to the next and learn something new. And it was a very different move for me to go to a startup coming from a very conservative um, accounting firm. But it had its similarities mm -hmm. in the sense that you learn a process, but now you have to change a little bit more. And what's the new way of doing things as you scale? Like, how do we scale? How do we do it better? How do we automate to reach out to more people? So I think it's change is constant and, you know, be ready for the ride. Yeah. 
that's and she as she says that she has a huge smile on her face so your passion is totally coming through here well eileen thank you so much for your time thank you for explaining zero to the audience and it's been great talking to you thank you so much thank you